welcome to the Independent Thinking Show for Fifth Wrist Radio. This is a place dedicated to showcasing the great people doing interesting things in the world of horology. My name is Roman, and today I'm back in the saddle with my Boston co-host and friend, Adam, at Medium Watch. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? All good. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's been, once again, a little while. We sometimes to do these in little bursts, where we do a few episodes in a row, and then we kind of, you know, pause the friendship for a little while. Uh, no, it's always, yeah. it's always lovely to see you. Always lovely to see you. Definitely, but we're we're bursting again, uh, bursting with excitement here, <laughs> and uh, we've got something that relates to the American market, which is really my forte. So, uh, absolutely, here we are. And the reason I say that is, uh, you know, one of my favorite cities in this this dear country is New York City, and New York City is home of the Horological Society of New York, of course, lots of great art galleries, all those auction houses. It's it's the stomping grounds of Gary Steingart and John Reardon and many other people on the show. And there's something very special that's happening in New York right now. So uh, our special guest today is Alex Koo, and he is the pocket genius. He has his pocket watches on display at the Horological Society of New York from June through December of 2023. So if you can uh, make your way on down to the Horological Society... You can actually see the watches we're talking about on display to the public. It's very generous of them to do this, and it's a real treat. Absolutely. And, you know, I am obviously not in New York, but the catalog is available both in the digital PDF form and also as a hard copy. Um, Adam is waving his hard copy. My hard copy is currently with a friend in in Los Angeles waiting to be dispatched (laughs) to me. Uh, but he, but it is an astonishing collection. It's one of those things where I, I'm sure we'll dig in with Alex in a minute. But, you know, he's a young man. He's the same age as me, so I'm classifying both of us as young. So, But he's built this incredible collection. And as you're saying rightly, very generous of him to share it in a public forum uh, with the clear community. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. So I encourage everyone to see it. And I'm very grateful we have the opportunity to meet the man who put the collection together. So... Mr. Alex Koo, welcome to Fifth Wrist Radio. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me today. I'm doing excellent. How are you? Very well. We're very excited. You, you, you're a good guest. You're right up, right in our wheelhouse with your, with your sort of passion and collection. So looking forward to meeting you, getting to know you a little bit better. For sure. Typically, how we start these things, you know, we'll do a, we typically do a wrist check. Although I suspect with you as a guest, it might. For, transform into a pocket watch check, but I'm excited to see what horological device you have with you, on you, uh, and we'll do a drink check if if it's worthwhile as well. Adam, we'll go, we'll go to you first. Sure. So I'm in the Boston area, and while there's not much happening horological here now, we've got a rich horological history. Nearby me is a little town called Waltham, oh, nice. which is home of the Waltham pocket watches. And so I have a Waltham pocket watch here with me on my desk and it has a beautifully american style engraved movement with with it's a different guilloche than you'd see in geneva it's its own unique american thing and uh and waltham is, is a local maker there's an interesting pocket watch that was actually made nearby here in a place called auburndale in the pocket genius collection of alex Coo that you can mm. see at hsny so it's cool that there's actually a little piece of, of my region of the Boston area that's in this collection of New York. And then there's another little piece of it on my desk. Beyond that, I don't know why I have to wear a watch. And so I decided <laughs> to wear a Solabs Layer 2. Uh, you may nice. have heard of this in a prior episode. You know, I, I just think it's such a pleasant watch. It's 
well built. It's it's really an art piece in itself, serially produced art. So, so it found its way into my rest today. It's the uh, the charcoal fog, a little piece of Chicago. Uh, and you know, friends of the Fifth Wrist Network, they are those two two boys at Soul Labs. Great great people. So absolutely. Great people. Exactly. And so I figured if we're doing the show today, I might as well wear this watch. Beautifully and done. Then, because it's it's seven o'clock in the evening and I need to make my way through the evening still <laughs> in the hours to go, I've got a can of seltzer water, the finest <laughs> that Costco can produce. <laughs> so uh, Roman, what, what uh, is your libation and uh, what are you wearing? Uh, well, you know, my libation is, I'm sorry to say, less exciting than the seltzer you're drinking because it is 9.13 in the morning, which, you know, to quote our good friend Alex, the watch regulator, is probably at least 30 minutes too early to start drinking. Um, so I just have a cup of tea in my thing. It's hardly worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, Location-wise, I'm in Melbourne, you know, Melbourne, Australia. So I like that we've got this, you know, always exciting to do these transcontinental Zoom calls or Jancaster calls, whatever we do. In terms of horological devices, like you, I went both with a pocket watch theme and a wristwatch theme because, once again, one never knows how these things swing. So wristwatch-wise, I have the Oxen Junior Setemana Raw 5th Wrist Edition, Excellent. which is very much becoming my happy watch. It's one of those things, you know, it always makes me smile because, you know, not only is it made through the, you know, the genius of Ludwig Oxlein, but now we have the shared history with, you know, with Cornelia and James uh, Henderson, and now this project we put together, and you were involved very much with the design. There's a group of 11 of us now who have these watches. Just a lovely oh, community. Oh, there's more now, right? Of course, yeah. yes, there is more. They kept on making them. So I, so, I love that watch as well. I always yeah. wear it on Thursdays, even though it's supposed to be a weekend watch, and I don't really know why. You're right. They, Thursday it's, it's all about routine. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So it always makes me smile. So I've got that. Um, in terms of a wristwatch type device, we have Alex on the show. You know, you've got to step up your pocket watch game a little. I love you, Waltham. Uh, you've got a connection to the place. I have a uh, John uh, John Roger Arnold pocket watch. Oh, wow. Slash marine yeah, chronometer. Yeah. So this one is made in 1810, uh, recently serviced by the master watchmaker and friend of the podcast, Mr. David Walter, uh, who I met at the, you know, Worship of Company of Clockmakers, who's a phenomenal maker. And we might talk about David as we get on to, you know, talking about modern masters and all that. But Very this cool. You have the right person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, David's champion. Um, but yeah, so this is my little bit of British <laughs> naval history. Oh, so wow. this is Pocket Watch, probably sort of an early marine chronometer as well so don't know if it went on any explorations or anything colonizing other continents but still has the original detent escapement uh, still ticks the dial if you take the dial off still has the name the enamel dial still has the name of the original enameler who made it it's just so so charming mm. it's over 200 years old not sure if you can hear that probably not yeah, i heard it heard it so it's still ticking still keeps, yeah. yeah yeah still keeps really reasonable time you know Five seconds a day, seven seconds a day, something like that. So tribute to David Walter's skillful hands. So uh, that's me. Maybe we'll handball to Alex because I'm very excited to hear what Alex has with him, on him, around All him. All right. Today I go to my office and, of course, I wrote a wristwatch today. Um, yep. Uh, actually, it's uh, plus 
uh, 0.7 seconds per day uh, oh, wow. according to my test uh, for a whole month. It's, of course, uh, the latest invention in the escapement, that is the coaxial escapement uh, featured in a Omega Seamaster 300. Oh, excellent. I've got that one. Mm, fantastic. Lovely. Yeah, I almost uh, tried to persuade uh, the society uh, to put this watch along with the other 60 pocket watches into the exhibition because I right. thought uh, this invention is a good addition to the escapement that I have uh, collected and exhibited. Mm. Oh, definitely. The coaxial escapement is something revolutionary. Uh, we were very lucky to have Roger Smith spend some time with us to, to explain it in the show. And we also got him to talk about his relics, of course. <laughs> yeah, I would mention his name as well, uh, along in the talk. And they certainly coaxial escapement Amigas in both the British Museum and the Worshipful Company of Clockmakers collection in London, in the you know in the, which is housed in the Science Museum. They both have a the the first edition of the you know George Daniels Deville coaxial released in 1999. So they both they they are historical objects. So definitely the coaxial escapement certainly deserves to be in a museum, has a place in the evolution of horology. Very much so. And you have that Deville in your watch box, I believe. I do. Yeah, I do as well. Once again, it's one of those makes <laughs> always makes me smile. Always makes me smile. I I had say I bought mine. I didn't take it out of either the <laughs> the British Museum or the Science Museum. They still have theirs as well. Well, Alex, maybe a good place for us to start. For people who don't know you, maybe give us a little bit tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, okay. Um, but I start uh, watch collecting about seven years ago. Um, I start to have a watch collecting hobby because um, I'm very fond of uh, mechanical uh, items. Uh, you know, when I was young, uh, my grandfather was a designer for mechanical lace and milling machines. So I always uh, wow. live in a room full of blueprints that you draw <laughs> on the paper. So sure. uh, I'm very uh, affiliated to uh, mechanics and uh, uh, the, the watches, of course. So I later on decided to uh, choose my major in physics, uh, uh, quantum mechanics, to be precise. And after I had my degrees uh, in California, uh, I found a job but my passion and the uh, science of holology never cheesed. And I decided to look at market uh, to see if there is uh, some watches that could resonate with me. And then I started. Interesting. So, so what made you focus on pocket watches rather than wrist watches in that sort of setting? Or how quickly did that trajectory land you in pocket watches? Oh, I spent almost a year uh, to decide that I perhaps is more interested in pocket watches. Uh, well, like most of the people, I originally started to collect wrist watches. Mm -hmm. uh, I collected uh, some uh, watches from... Uh, the gray market, uh, well, I purchased new watches sure. and I also mm -hmm. purchased a watch as a gift to my wife. Sensible. Yeah, and uh, and I just read more and more on the forum. Uh, 
I realized there is a stagger uh, to the Holy Grail uh, and the collection of wristwatches. And I did try uh, to make a few steps, stepping up uh, to a better brand, a better brand like Omega, a better brand uh, up to uh, Patek Philippe. Uh, and I then started to think uh, out of the box. Uh, maybe what I really enjoy is not the prestigious style or status on my wrist. I'm more interested in the physics uh, behind the horology. And I yeah. am uh, interested in uh, historical genius who crafted these timepieces along the years. And then I uh, start to buy pocket watch movements and see if I can take them apart and put them back. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of fun <laughs> to, to <laughs> have than just paying the bill, buying more wristwatches. <laughs> and it's such a challenge. So uh, HSNY has traveling education and educational courses where you basically take apart a pocket watch movement and put it back together. And I had the pleasure of doing this and it was, it was a challenge, uh, but a delight. Yeah. You know, for the pocket watch movements, you can usually can uh, find it in either the flea market or in, on eBay for about mm. uh, maybe less than a hundred dollars. You can find a very good one. Uh, some movement that is taken healthily and uh, you can do some uh, interesting on it. I mean, what what I find interesting in your trajectory is that, you know, you started with wristwatches as virtually everyone does, but it's interesting to me that you, you, you were in your mind, you had the sort of the, the concept of the holy grail that you were building towards before you changed, you know, to pocket watches. How do you define a holy grail or what was appealing to you in before you switched? Like what was the holy grail of a wristwatch? Well, I uh, learned the trajectory of going to a holy grail, uh, basically from nowadays marketing and the social medias. Right. So it is not too right. much different from you've known, uh, uh, having better brands, uh, you have a Rolex or a holy trinity that is uh, more historically rooted, or maybe you have independent watchmaking Etc. So it's, it's nothing that I created in my mind of my own. Okay. But for wow. the pocket watch collecting, uh, how do you uh, make a judgment whether this watch is collectible for me? I do have a lot of thought on it. Excellent. Well, that's why we're excited to talk to you. So yeah, let's hear them. So what makes a watch collectible to you? Um... So uh, let's talk about the pocket watches. Mm -hmm, and sure. uh, you, as you've seen in the exhibition, I divide my uh, 60 items into four parts. And these mm -hmm. four parts are historical makers, uh, two, uh, escapements, three, uh, the complication uh, and the functionality of pocket watches, and four, mm -hmm. uh, the sheer beauty of pocket watches. I definitely spent a lot of time to read books and decide uh, which aspect is the direction I should go for. 
I always admire、uh, the holologist like John Harrison. Especially, I read and watched the movie、uh, sure. Longitude and、oh, yeah. see what a brilliant、mm-hmm. job a holologist can do、um, to the civilization of human beings. And he is actually doing、uh, nothing inferior to the greatest physicists,、uh, such as、uh, Isaac Newton.、Uh, so I immediately get fascinated by. Uh, his name and the people in his era. Then I start to collect big names such as George Graham, who welcomed him in his visit to London and introduced、mm. him to the Board of Longitude. And、uh, who is the、uh, master and who is the apprentice of、uh, <laughs> George Graham?、Uh, then I've learned the name such as Thomas Tompion, his teacher. And、uh, also his apprentice、uh, Thomas Merge, the inventor of lever escapement, the inventor of perpetual calendar, and perhaps also the inventor of repeater minute repeater watches.、Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of build a connection of、uh, these renowned names. I learned a story from the little book by Dava Sobel, a French holologist was appointed by the king. To visit London and steal the secret from John Harrison, but well, you know, John Harrison was tortured by the Board of Longitude and became very、uh, unwelcoming.、Sure. Somehow, this guy whose name is Ferdinand Batude invited、uh, Thomas Merch for a dinner, and、uh, they had a、uh, well, they had a lot of alcohols and、right. threw, uh, some chit chatting. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he suddenly realized that、uh, the British are making the marine chronometers, marine clocks, smaller into watches, and uh, uh, that could possibly、uh, improve the precision over the sea. And、uh, so the story goes on and on and on, and I build on a network of the historical watchmakers, just like I mentioned. And I also put it as a、uh, network chart in my appendix of the yep. book. Yes. Yep. So you, you see,、uh, there are masters and apprentices. You see, there are uncles and nephews.、Uh, <laughs> Arnold and John Roger Arnold are the father and son,、yeah. and、uh, he exchanged his son with Louis Abraham Breguet、uh, as the apprentices、uh, apprenticeship. So、uh, this goes on and on. Yeah, that really is very charming to me because I think if a piece of soul was left on the timepiece they crafted, somehow these pocket watches would actually mutually talk,、uh, <laughs> realizing that they are each other connected. The technology was、uh, passed down to the next generation. It's really amazing how things speak to each other. So, when collecting art, I really love to collect artists that work together. So, I've got、uh, various artists in the Bauhaus school. They were all colleagues, Miro and Calder,、uh, who both worked together and collaborated. There's something about having people in the same circle and looking at their pieces next to each other that really helps you understand the individual pieces so much better. Oh, very much so. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in in what you just said, Alex, as well. So. 
I once again want to do a little call out to the catalog that you produced, which for your collection, which I encourage everybody to 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 get a hold of a copy. That appendix, that that page sixty seven of a catalog for those playing at home, which actually puts a little family tree of the different watchmakers and how they connect to each other. I think it's probably a really helpful snapshot of the horological history just in that one half-page diagram, you know, which goes from Harrison all the way down to English makers, continental makers, so re- with a timeline on the left side. It's a really elegant way of kind of mapping out the development of pocket watches and the makers and who influenced who and who worked with who along the way. So it's a really lovely, so I definitely commend you on that. If you're looking to find a new brand, it gives you some inspiration of names that are not yet licensed. Yeah, so, please don't uh, do that. Whoever's <laughs> listening to that, please don't. Most of those have been claimed, by the way, already. Not so, all of them. Yeah, who who do you think has not been made? We might as well say it aloud so we can claim it now, Adam. There's Justin Vulami. Oh, just no one making that. Will you meet? Yeah, you would be very up. I think the the worshipful company of clockmakers will be very unhappy. They've got some really beautiful William E. Peters. Thomas Mudge, not, no new Mudges. Oh, I suspect there's a Mudge, there's like a, because there's definitely like a Thomas Earnshaw has now restarted okay. like as a terrible brand. Whoever, sorry, if the owners of the Earnshaw company are listening now, please stop. Uh, <laughs> but Graham has been rebooted. Oh, yes. So I actually yes, visited so was, Graham The once. Graham was a sister brand to Arnold and Son, uh, who are actually doing <laughs> really cool watches now. Uh but they're not. I think they're owned by like the Citizen brand or something. Like, they're really. really I don't recall, they have a really cool movement maker though. Arnold and Son got a really. Sorry, we, we, sorry, Alex. We tend to go off on, on on tangents, so I do apologize. Adam and I can do that. Right, so, uh, but it is really interesting. Uh, and the movie Longitude that you mentioned, I'm a huge fan as well. And I also because my pathway into horology was very much down the navigation side of things. So I I too started with. John Arnold and I too stopped for a long time on the longitude story. Oh, sure. So it truly really is a great collection and uh, really well thought out. Did these groupings really come to your mind after you developed the collection? Were they kind of a retrospective strategy like, like Mintzberg would recommend or were they more of a prospective strategy? Did you think of the groupings as you bought the watches? I, I kind of choose the direction to go first. Uh, and of course, I was alluded by a lot of uh, pocket watches that doesn't belong into these categories. And uh, unfortunately, uh, mm-hmm. that cost me extra time and money, uh, which I eventually was reluctant to, yeah. sell, to sell them on eBay. Um, but I, <laughs> I choose to collect precise watches and the devices that makes watch tick precise to make the watch uh, tick accurately. So you would notice that all of my watches were ma- manufactured after the invention of the hairspring. So it is the hairspring that makes the mm-hmm. watch ticking regulated, right? So I, you know, I'm really excited about this exhibition that's happening at HSNY. Uh, HSNY puts on fantastic things. But even though we've talked to Nick Manusis, we've met him, we've had him on the show, I've really never seen behind the scenes how these exhibitions are developed. So how did this happen? How did the exhibition come oh, about? I think it is coming out from some coincidence. You know, during the pandemic, uh, a app uh, called Clubhouse was very popular. Ah, and there are mm-hmm. lots of rooms talking watches 
here and there. And in one of the rooms, I've heard uh, a guest speaker who, you know, is Nicholas Manusas, the director of the HSNY. And I uh, asked what he is uh, interested uh, to do. And he said he is particularly interested in the escapements and uh, how uh, the escapement gets developed and become obsolete. Um, so I happen to have a great collection of escapements. And in this catalog, uh, you've seen more than 20 different types of escapements. So I definitely raise my hand and jump out. Hey, uh, have, you, have you heard of this kind of escapement or that kind of escapement? And we then start to talk on Instagram and with email. So one day, he invited me to have a look at the new library in HSNY. And uh, I was fascinated to see more than 20,000 items was donated to the library. Uh, on that particular day, we've reviewed uh, what watches that I've collected for my own collection. And uh, uh, he encouraged me that if I'm interested to have them displayed in front of the public. I said, why not? Because, you know, as a young generation who started uh, watch collecting in the 30s, I find it's quite lonely because um, the same age group are not that much into the pocket watches. I think maybe I should uh, exhibit my watches so that people uh, find something in common between themselves and the watches. Right? I said, okay, well, let's uh, put it on the agenda. So here I am. Uh, where do you think it might go next? Will it be exhibited elsewhere after New York? Oh, yes, I have been thinking about it. Um, uh, one definitely uh, possi definite possibility is uh, the Macau Timepiece Museum. Uh, five years yeah. ago, uh, my friends... Uh, established this museum in Macau, a part of China. Uh, and, uh, uh, yes. you know, uh, this project was supported by the government uh, because, you know, Macau is famous for casinos, right? And uh, they desperately wanted to develop something uh, cultural-wise attractive to the tourists. And uh, uh, having, yeah, having a museum is definitely the, yeah, so... Then the museum was established, uh, so I was a part of the uh, society over there uh, in terms of the, uh, the holology, uh, collab holology topics collaboration. And uh, definitely I got mm -hmm. a chance to exhibit my watches there. Oh, fantastic. I, I am also thinking about having an opportunity to exhibit it somewhere uh, in USA, uh, you know, uh, in a uh, places that uh, young generation and the kids could visit over the weekend. That would be fantastic. And uh, I am always very ambitious on having a great collection that's comparable to a top tire uh, collector in the history. You know, uh, by top tire collectors, mm -hmm. I'm talking about, uh, for example, uh, J.P. Morgan. Uh, I'm talking about uh, 
see Atwood, who mm-hmm. founded the Time Museum in Illinois. I'm talking about mm-hmm. uh, Sir David Solomons, who single-handedly changed people's uh, passion on the Brigade watches. And uh, later on, his daughter aired his watches and put them in the Museum of Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. those are uh, top-tire uh, collectors. So you mentioned you want to be a great watch collector. What makes a great watch collector and a great watch collection? And how are collections tiered? If you had to categorize them, how would you categorize different watch collections? Speaking broadly. I think uh, great collectors can be uh, made in a few aspects. Some collectors want to go very diverse uh, in their collection. Uh, They uh, build a uh, wide spectrums of watches that reflects watchmaking state of the art of different era. So basically, that's naturally a museum of uh, horology. Watch collectors can be great also if they focus on a particular aspect and think very deep in terms of the technology or uh, the beauty of the watches, and that that can be very inspiring. Sir David Solomon is the latter one who mainly focused on brigade watches. If I remember correctly, he had more than 100 brigade pocket watches at the time. And uh, before him, brigade watch collecting wasn't that popular among the top-notch collectors, such as the uh, J.P. Morgan collection. But... Uh, since Sir Solomons wrote the famous book Breguet, Breguet collection has become one of the unneglegible uh, ne- topic in the most fantastic watch collecting. The interesting thing to me, Alex, in, in when you talk about collectors, and one of the reasons why I was interested in the question where you see your collection going, is the collectors that you mentioned, when they built their collections, their collections ended up in very different places. So, for example, the David Solomon's collection famously was sold by Christie's in three auctions, 1964, I think, from memory, something like that. You know, and some pieces left, some pieces stayed. The Seth Atwood Time Museum, which was the premier collection of horological items in America, was broken up and is no longer a collection. So it doesn't exist beyond a catalogue, right? Whereas other people's collections end up in museums and institutions where they forever stay as a time capsule of that collector's vision for what they were collecting, whatever that is. The Bayer Museum. Yeah, exactly. So I guess my interest, yeah, the, the Bayer Museum is a perfect example, Adam, actually. So that's actually kind of what I'm interested about because that applies not just to pocket watches, but to any watch collector who is building towards something. What is your vision for? Do you one day want to see the Alex Koo collection in a museum somewhere that stays forever like you've like it is you've built? Or is it more about building a collection, making a catalogue, and then beyond that, it can go. You know, you're not that emotionally attached to the pieces once they've been captured in one place. I am emotionally attached of some pieces in my collection, particularly right. uh, emotionally attached 
for example, uh, the uh, watches, the pocket watches that had great provenance and reflect history of uh, the American collectors. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a watch that belonged to the physicist Arthur Haas, who uh, demystified the helium, uh, the, the hydrogen spectrum, and the, the being the pioneer of the quantum mechanics. So I'm right. very emotionally attached to, to some of my watches. And uh, sure. I'm assured that uh, that I am particularly emotionally attached to the greatest watchmaker in the history. I am very attached uh, to the escapements, which are fossil of the evolution of escapements. Okay, interesting. So you've selected a lot of wonderful watches for the exhibition. Uh, why did you choose the watches that you did? Um, so I have about... Uh, 60 items now in New York on the exhibition. And I uh, virtually divide them into uh, groups in the catalog. That's also taste that a collector would usually have uh, in the world of pocket watches. Uh, one, uh, we've talked about that is the historical watchmakers. And two is the uh, technical aspect the most core invention of any watch, escapements. Three, complications. You know, uh, a wristwatch guy walk into the world of pocket watches, it's very likely the first thing he's looking for is a uh, specific chronograph or a mini repeater that is more than uh, low-hanging fruit in the world of wristwatch. So, Naturally, people like the complication of pocket watches because they are bigger uh, and they're uh, more affordable in the market. And sure. also, there is decoration of the watches. Uh, unlike wristwatches, most of the pocket watches are, uh, by, the, by standard, featured either a white enamel dial or a glue shield dial which would possibly be uh, costly in wristwatch collecting. Uh, also, on the case back, the pocket watches are decorated with enamels, with gold engraving, and uh, sure, that's something that you couldn't easily figure out in wristwatch collecting. And uh, I start to collect in all these four sections from day one. And I gradually uh, summarized that I am particularly interested in uh, section A, B, C, and D. And I decided to develop them further so that they look more systematic in the exhibition. To be honest, um, when I nailed there is going to be an exhibition in New York, at that time I was having uh, about 50 watches. And for this exhibition, I particularly increased my collection to cover independent second. I uh, increased my collection um, to uh, include included a famous watchmaker, 
called Dittchen of Switzerland. Mm -hmm. uh, th that really happened uh, to my collection. And uh, as you can see, they are more systematic now uh, by yeah, having absolute. uh a by having watchmakers and also uh, technical aspects over a duration of uh, 250 years. Uh, indeed, uh, as we mentioned about the coaxial experiment, I'm very grateful that Mr. Roger Smith could lend his coaxial experiment model obtained from Daniel's workshop to this exhibition. At the time, I said we couldn't have the exhibition with the most important invention in the 20th century in terms of the escapement. And we are missing a very important historical watchmaker, George Daniels. And uh, uh, I couldn't basically afford buying a George Daniels watch for perhaps a million dollars. Sure. At the time, I my suggestion was kind of naive. If we can put a Omega wristwatch uh, in the exhibition, which of course you know is very uh, different from the other objects, uh, pocket watches. So Nicholas uh, called uh, Mr. Smith, and Mr. Smith said, "Okay, yeah, he understand, and uh, definitely we can ship a." coaxial escapement model, which was owned by George Daniels to New York. And I was so glad this exhibition was completed by having both um, the name and his invention in the collection. It's really fantastic. Well, look, Alex, it's been really interesting to hear about your thoughts. You've clearly put a lot of thoughts into the collecting, and it's really fascinating to follow your journey as you build the collection and now you know, it's up for exhibit and you're sharing that, that you create a platform to share that your collection and the knowledge with the wider world uh, through the catalog and through the exhibition. One of the things we always ask, uh, Adam and I always ask the guests who come on the podcast is where are the sources of knowledge? How can people expand their horizons? So we often ask people on the show, you know, are there any Instagram recommendations or other things that you would suggest people follow to learn more about pocket watches and things? So I, I'm very fascinated to hear your recommendations about that. Yeah, sure. I used Instagram very extensively and uh, I've been posting the videos of my pocket watches on expression right. to the Instagram every week. Um, I posted some when I got leisure and I also recommend a lot of other uh, collectors or institutes that have great Instagram materials about pocket watch collecting. Um, here are a few. Uh, the MIH, Museum in, Muse of International Holology in Switzerland. Yeah. That's fantastic. And uh, also for the Americans, the NAWCC, the Association of uh, Collectors of Holology. That's a very great account posting a lot of materials. I, I know a very young guy, uh, who is, I think, much younger than I am. Uh, his name is Lewis Waldock. Uh, Lewis oh, yes. Waldock is a British young man who has been posting very interesting and uh, academic uh, topics about clocks and pocket watches. 
I, I also want to recommend uh, Jorgensen dot etc. Uh, Jorgensen spells as J U R G E N S E N dot E T C. Yeah, that's his account name, uh, and as well as uh, the American collector. It's been a longer day. Oh yes, it's been a oh, longer Dave. day. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes, yes. So I think he is a very good friend of you too. Well, definitely of Adam. You know, so, I'm yet to I'm yet yeah, to meet him. But, in, yeah, so uh, the Boston area. Basically, that's uh, quite a few accounts to scratch with. That's great. Excellent. That's a great. Um, that's a great selection. Uh, and some really cool people there as well. So ex- excellent. What about you, Adam? You always have a good recommendation up your sleeve. So, so yeah, uh, it's been a longer day. It's always someone I think of when it comes to pocket watches. But I think I also have to name someone else that I have uh, both met in the past and also has fantastic watches. So if you visit the MIH um, in uh, Le Chaux de Fonds, right outside the entry to the museum, there's a very special shop. And that shop is run by Louis Ville, uh, Time to Go 36. That's T-I-M-E-T-O-G-O 36. Mm. And he has fantastic school watches, very Zeller pocket watches, wrist watches, and this really diverse, totally uh, stocked to the brim shop that uh, is a treat just like the MIH. And it's right outside the door. And so if you see the MIH, I encourage you to also uh, make an appointment to meet uh, Luis Vuel, who has this, this wonderful set of pocket watches. I wish you wouldn't tell people this, Adam, because it makes it harder to find treasures. <laughs> Honestly, we need to, we need to pre-record, <laughs> screen these things. It's amazing. It's an amazing place. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's really good. I guess I'll do my recommendation. So that, Yes, the person me. I suggest, and I think I might have recommended him before. So, so Instagram account at PHX Watch Nut. So Steve from Phoenix, I believe in Arizona. PHX Watch Nut has an amazing collection of pocket watches and really informative, lovely guy. Quite a few sort of repeaters, complicated pocket watches. Really cool account. Really, really like him. So very highly recommended. Um, and the other one, it would be very remiss of us not to not to give a shout out to our friend of the podcast, Mr. David Walter, who is an amazing Australian-born pocket watch and wristwatch and clock maker uh, who now lives in California, uh, David Walter. And he's making a pocket watch for it's been a longer day. Of course, day. yes, so, yes, uh, he was yes, of course. It all comes full circle. It all there's no escapement from us. <laughs> uh, so David E. Walter, David E. Dot Walter is his Instagram account. So now, really cool. Oh, that's some really good recommendations. I think we've over exceeded our uh, Instagram Instagram recommendations. So no complaints from that. Well, look, Alex, thank you so much again for coming in to talk to us. It's been an absolute pleasure to learn more, to meet you and then learn more about your journey. And thank you for doing that. What we always say right at the end of these things is, you know, Fifth Wrist, we set this up as a platform by enthusiasts and for enthusiasts. So anyone listening out there, if you want to join us, contribute, write reviews, or even come on the podcast, you know, please get in touch. Follow Fifth Wrist on Facebook and Instagram or on our website at fifthwrist.com. Uh, follow me. I'm at Times Roman AU. My valiant co-host Adam is at Medium Watch, and of course our guest Alex Koo is at Alex Koo dot Horology. 
More importantly, make sure to check out the incredible Pocket Genius exhibition of Alex's pocket watches now on at the HSNY until December 2023. It's a masterclass. Everyone should go visit it if you can. Everyone should definitely get a catalog at least. It's incredible. So, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Adam, thank you. Yes, thank and you. What, was, uh, what an honor. Uh, it's our pleasure. So, Oh, it's great to have you. And thank you for sharing your collection with the world. Absolutely. Here, here. And everyone out there, stay on time.